With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey gang, quick bit of housekeeping for you before we start the show. And this is only relevant to those of you who listen to us on the Apple Podcasts app or via Apple. So if you don't move along, as the great Obi-Wan Kenobi would say, nothing to see here. But if you do listen to us via Apple, listen carefully, particularly if you're an old school listener of the show. Before we became the Nat Coombs show on ESPN, when we were the NFL show, you would have got the show updated when we moved without having to do a thing. But that's because the old show had a divert put on it. So to check, you'll subscribe to the new feed because the old one is going to go pretty soon. Check out the Nat Coombs show. Search for it on the app via the podcast browse section or the store section if you're looking on the desktop and find our show and see if it shows whether you're subscribed or not. If you are, great, you're on the right feed. If you're not, hit subscribe and delete the old one. So head on over, not in your library, but actually onto Apple. Search the Nat Coombs show. Make sure you're subscribed to the feed that you find. Simple. Good luck. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombs Show on ESPN. Good to have you with us. Two terrific guests coming your way this week. And we're going to be talking about two teams that we think are amongst the most improved in the NFL. Nikki Bandini, show favorite, drops by to catch up with all the latest news from the NFL, but also to talk about her beloved Arizona Cardinals, who are looking in decent shape for a playoff run. Although, let's not forget they're playing in what is probably the toughest division in the NFL, certainly one of them. So Nikki joins us, so too, making her show debut, ESPN's Brooke Pryor, who covers the Pittsburgh Steelers day in, day out, 365. And unsurprisingly, then with Brooke, we're going to be talking Steeler Nation, the return of Big Ben. How significant will that be? What kind of shape is he going to be in? Will he last the season? And speaking of tough divisions, it's certainly not a cakewalk in the AFC North. So Nikki and Brooke coming your way. Don't forget, we're dropping pods all the way through the off-season. So if you haven't already, wherever you're listening to us, subscribe and you will not miss a trick. Right, let's get straight down to business and welcome the terrific Nikki Bandy. Nikki, good to see you. Uh, Ollie and I were working out uh, that the last time you and I saw each other, or did a show together anyway, was Miami, right? Right after oh the Super Bowl. So quite a lot has changed since then. <laughs> Just a tiny bit. God, yeah. I can't even conceive of that time when it was okay to be on airplanes, to be at Super Bowls, to not have, um, I don't know, constant concern about viruses and, and everything else going on in the world. But that's what I want to lead off with, because we're going to talk about your Arizona Cardinals, because mm-hmm. we think they're one of the most improved teams in the NFL right now. But we want to deep dive on that a little bit more and get your perspective on that work out if that's true and where the strengths and weaknesses are. But I want to kick up with some news. And let, let's start with that, because in the last week, certainly since the last pod, uh, Anthony Fauci, Dr. Fauci, who is uh, running essentially, or certainly one of the, the most prominent figures in the American administration response to COVID, has uh, firstly met a, uh, had an interview with CNN and made some statements saying if the NFL season is going to start, it's most likely going to have to start in a in a bubble like the NBA are doing in Disneyland or Disney World, I should say. Um, 
And then he qualified those comments because he received criticism. President Trump weighed in and said, well, he doesn't speak for the NFL. Uh, and he uh, actually qualified those comments and said, well, I don't speak for the NFL, but I'm just looking at it from a medical perspective. Um, and uh, he's now saying in the last 24 hours, it's impossible to call if, if the season is going to start on time. That was, that was what he said, which is, which is, I guess, a reasonable assessment right now, given the, the outbreaks that are happening and the spikes that are happening once again in the US. So the $64,000 question, I guess, do you think we're going to get a season on time? And, and, and if you do, it, is it going to have to be a, a bubble situation? I kind of like the way the NBA have approached it. I mean, to answer the first part of your question, I think I want to say I hope so, because as a Cardinals fan, it's the most excited I've been for season in a while, honestly. <laughs> um, that's the selfish answer. Look, I mean, I can't speak to the um, medical side of this like a Dr. Fauci can. So whatever he says, I'm inclined to say go with that. But right. clearly there's lots to be worried about. Um, I think the fact that we're even, you know, I know that, we living in England have our own sort of worries about where the curve is headed, but there's been this sort of notable, at least downward trajectory of it. And more recently in the States, in some state, in some States in particular, the opposite is happening. And and so that's a concern right now. Mm. We're still a fair way from September, right. but um, this is the point where it starts to get complicated with training camps. It's already sort of stopped some mini camps from happening and that's going to be an issue for team preparation and, and rookies. Um, did you see on that, Nikki? Did you see the NFLPA? They issued a statement at the weekend suggesting that players stop these private workouts that were were kind of kicking off left, right, and centre. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, would it be would it be Tom Brady in a new setting if he wasn't breaking the rules already? Um, being told by the NFL Players Association <laughs> not to, no, well, not him specifically. Everyone being told not to get together with teammates in training. Guess guess who was first? Um, I'm, I'm mostly joking. It's his, dedica- it's his dedication to the craft. That's what it is. That's well, I mean, what I- that is what it is, honestly. Like, yeah. he wants to win. He's gone there and he doesn't want to, doesn't want it to go badly. And I understand that, frankly, mm. professionally, it makes sense. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, um, do you think there's a risk that, that, that it might? I mean, that's an interesting, just want to go off on that tangent for a minute. Is there a risk? Cause we just assume, uh, admire that, as you said, that the driving him even now and the fact he wants to prove it somewhere else and, He's always been one of those players, you know, since his low draft uh, number with a chip on his shoulder despite everything he's achieved. And that's the, the motivation of, the, of an elite athlete like him. There is a chance, though, that it could go could go horribly wrong. Because even, you know, Montana at, at the Chiefs and, you know, the, look at other great quarterbacks and, and their swan song generally worked out quite well. But it would be, is there a risk? Look at the, the, this Tampa side. Is there a risk that, you know, Brady could fall off a cliff or at the very least have a hugely disappointing year? Of course there's a risk. Tom Brady's individual sort of performance, and we break it down to the um the the mechanics, the the how good his deep ball looks, things like that. It's not where it was a few years ago. I think everyone's been mm. saying that for a while. Now he managed to continue to thrive in New England. He was still part of great teams in New England and and still you know, not so long ago was winning a Super Bowl in New England. Right. So it's not that he can't win. Um, and I think that the weapons around him in uh, that Tampa offense are pretty exciting. But the assumption that Tom Brady plugs in there and produces Super Bowl, no, I, I don't buy that at all. I think it's it's a hard road for a quarterback joining a new team, especially in a shortened off season, which is why he's clearly trying to compensate that as best he can. And um, I think there's every chance it it doesn't go great because – Again, we haven't seen Tom Brady without Bill Belichick. We haven't seen, not doubting that he's a great quarterback and 
certainly that it is the peak of his powers that he was one of the very, very best in, in the NFL. I don't think if you were drafting from scratch your suit your um, dream NFL roster now. Honestly, I don't think he's on it. I think there mm. are other quarterbacks who today you take ahead of him, and that's just mm. being realistic about where he is in his career. Mm. Um, but clearly he can still compete. Whether or not he can make it work in Tampa Bay relies on so many other moving parts, so many things that aren't Tom Brady that who knows. And, and indeed, as we got into the uh... – uh, the subject that got us into Brady, the preseason preparation and everything else, and teams obviously that are have a lot of new faces, have a lot of new faces in key positions. It is going to be undoubtedly a hindrance. Undoubtedly, they're going to be playing from behind the eight ball in many respects because of the, the preparation and, and, and the fractious preparation that we're seeing there. Okay, so slightly more negative, I guess, in the last week in terms of because the NFL has been plowing on from you know, since March, that September, September, September. Uh, but a few more twists and turns. We need to watch that, watch that space. Other bit of news I want to talk about, Jamal Adams. So look, he's one of the best, best, best players in the NFL, full stop, certainly one of the best players in his position. Asking for a trade. Uh, there is, I guess, a school of thought here that it is leverage and he is just calling the Jets bluff to get the deal. And we've seen that trick played many a time. But at the same time, and uh, maybe as part of it, there are a number of teams that were, reported that he'd like to play for Adam Schefter, ESPN, uh, insider reporting the Ravens, the Cowboys, the Texans, the Chiefs, the Eagles, the 49ers and the Seahawks. Disappointingly, no, no cards or dolphins for us, Nikki, but, and the 49ers, they seem to be a lot of buzz around them in, in the last few days. So that could be a landing spot. So uh, Jamal Adams, should the Jets just cough up and, and lock him down? Or given, you know, he is an elite player and that's the point of a, a team like the Jets in transition that's rebuilding is to presumably try and retain these pieces. Or do you think that there is a, it's, it's knowing the Jets as we do in the organization, it's maybe less likely that'll happen and Jamal Adams could be, could be playing for the 49ers come the start of the season. It's quite a wish list, isn't it? As you say, of teams to, to play for and some of them sort of still, still on the sidelines. I look at and think, oh, that'd be fun. Um, plug right. into that team and, and pretty much all of them, right? Yeah. Yeah. Kansas City with a little bit more on defense or, or, you know, even Baltimore, I think what he would add to that defense. Obviously, um, you know, he has, he has some relationship with, with Shanahan, which also leads to, to the 49ers. But, um, in, in reality, I don't feel like the, Jets are under any particular pressure here. Mm. They're not under pressure because he's three years into a five-year rookie contract. It's really quite rare that um, rookie contracts get renegotiated at this point. There are very few examples of that happening. And I think if there was ever a season in which a team is not going to allow itself to be bullied into doing a new contract, it would be the year in which nobody knows games are... I mean, everyone's working on the assumption that games are going to happen, but... Um, nobody right? knows for certainty what this season's going to look like, whether it's going to be fans in the stand, whether revenue is going to be impacted. You know, most businesses in the world are, uh, are being impacted in, in countries that are, um, hit by coronavirus. So even the NFL with a, you know, incredible financial success story it is might be looking around and going, well, I'm not going to spend money if we don't have to. Mm. At which point, yeah, we're back in the old position we're always in, in these stories of what's your leverage and your leverage is, I guess, to hold out. Um, it's a really messy off season to be, to be trying to, to be that guy, I think. Um, it might happen. Um, doesn't mean it can't happen and doesn't mean, by the way, that when I'm saying this, I don't think he's worthy of a better contract because he's, mm. 
an extraordinary player and that's why it's exciting to think of him being one of those other teams. Sorry, Jets fans. I, I, um, it, it's, but, it, speaking of, you know, as you know, as a Finns fan and looking at, and we're going to talk Steelers later on and, and Minka Fitzpatrick is, is a perfect example of this. Like I get when a, an offer comes in that is too good to refuse or that the, the mathematics simply don't work and you've got to look at redistributing that money in, in terms of strength and depth in the roster. Like I get mm. that, but, and you know, as the, as the Dolphins seemingly approving their game plan might well be a very shrewd one because of the draft picks they accumulated with all the deals that, that they did and, and things are looking up right there. They're another team where I'm certainly ex- more excited about the start of the season than for many a year, but I still think there is, there has to be a balance when you look at a team like the Jets and they're obviously building you know, offensively around Donald and invested heavily in him and, and, and unique key players in that team to build around. If you fire sale all of them, then I, I just find you, it's, it's a little bit too regressive and you're going back to square one. Yeah. Well, so Dallas did make a, a play for Adams um, before the trade deadline last year and they were offering a first round draft pick and, um, the Jets wanted some more picks on top of that. And you understand why? Because mm. very few first round draft picks wind up as good as Jamal Adams. Right. So, just in a straightforward value, you want you want more than that for him, especially again when you've got him for another um, at that point two and a half years, but at this mm. point still two more years under contract. Um, it's it's going to have to be a very expensive deal unless he does something to make himself so uh, undesired in New York they want to offload him. Unless you get an Antonio Brown type situation where it's like, well. There's just nothing good to, to come of saying here, but then, you know, look how things worked out for Antonio Brown in the end. So <laughs> right. you have to, the Jets would have to either have their hands really forced or it would have to be a great offer. And the team making that offer will have, not only have to think, what are we giving up to get him in terms of draft picks? Or maybe there's something else that you can offer. Um, but then also, you know, he wants a new contract. That's where this all started. So you're also going to have to do a big deal for him. I, I think the most likely scenario from where I'm sitting is still very much that he's on the Jets this season, but um, yeah, a lot can change too now in September. Just even mentioning Antonio Brown and as we started a few months and a lot has changed since Miami. I pretty much this time last year, give or take a month, it was Antonio Brown melting down in Raiders training camp. So yeah. uh, it's unbelievable. So much is and so much that is... sort of short few weeks where it was like, oh my God, Antonio Brown's actually going to just carry the Patriots to Super Bowl. <laughs> even that didn't last. <laughs> even that didn't play out. So, yeah. uh, Let's get into the Cardinals then, because there's a lot to talk about here, and I'm really keen to get your perspective. And you've kind of shown your hand a little bit, Nikki, by saying you're more excited than you have been in a long time about this season. So I'm guessing you're you're, you're optimistic about the the Cards' oh. chances. There is a lot a lot going on, of course, not least yeah. the fact this is, uh, if not the toughest division in the NFL, certainly one of them, right? So that, you've got to bear that in mind. But let's start with let's start with the positives. Let's let's start with the upside, right? And we've got to therefore start with with DeAndre Hopkins. It is. I love the fact that definitely in the NFL, I think this is probably true of the NBA as well, maybe less so in, in baseball because it's still typically uh, given the, the way that the, the financial structure there, it's the Dodgers, the Phillies, the Yankees that tend to be able to do this. But one of the things we love about the NFL compared to uh, the other football that we love is, is that a team like the Cardinals, with the greatest respect, can grab a superstar player and there is this distribution. But also when they're not just because they've come through the draft, they've come through... Uh, as an undrafted free agent that has come good, that Prescott style, but you can go out into the market and land one of the absolute marquee elite players in the game. I mean, that that's hugely exciting to be a fan of a team like that that is able to do that. 
Yeah, and yeah, you can go and do that as long as the team that currently owns that um, player is the Houston Texans. I think is, is the general rule. Um, look, yeah, it's it's incredible. It's incredibly exciting. DeAndre Hopkins is um, he's an amazing player to watch, as well as being just looking at the numbers, um, an extraordinary um, producer in terms of receiving yards, touchdowns. Um, I think what's really sort of striking. Um, I saw a side-by-side comparison of him and Larry Fitzgerald is how similar they are in terms of the numbers they produce. You look seven years into Larry Fitzgerald's careers, career, like catches, yards, touchdowns, yards per catch. They're, they're really, really close. And it's because they're actually quite similar in, in what they give you. I mean, they're mm. still, Larry Fitzgerald is very much the tail end of his career, but he's still, um, I think he was just a, maybe one or two spots ahead of um, uh, Hopkins in terms of, uh, the catch rate, they're you know not not dropping balls this season. Yeah. We've got two of the most reliable sets of hands in the NFL. Two great route runners. Neither of them, and even in his peak, Larry Fitzgerald was not a take top off the defense guy. Right. And and DeAndre Hopkins isn't that either. But both of them can win jump balls. Both of them are going to dominate physically over uh, certain defenders. And I think that um, that's just so exciting. It's exciting as a Cardinals fan as well because we've been sort of living this long tail of Larry Fitzgerald's career where mm. nobody wants him to go ever because it's not just that he's a great player, but he just seems to be a great individual and someone who brings leadership um, and is just very sort of rewarding to watch as a fan and to root for. Absolutely. Um, I, th- I think he's one of the, the most beloved players across the league. Uh, yeah. What's the over-under on... Uh, in terms of years on when Larry Fitzgerald is finally going to retire. Is it 44? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm well past, I'm well past <laughs> guessing. Never, I hope. Never. Who's going to retire um, first, Brady or Fitzgerald? <laughs> That'd be a good contest. I, Brady. I hope it's Brady. Um, it's great... mean, that's not, that's not said to say to knock Brady. I just, you know, the longer, the longer Fitzgerald is around, the happier I'll be. And I think that having those two in tandem, having Christian Kirk, who, Mm. certainly shows them to promise in, in last season. It's a really promising trio. Um, and I think especially when, uh, again, sort of talking about optimism as a as a Cardinals fan, I think about some of the players who were catching passes last season, Damier Bird, Farrow Cooper, Keshawn Johnson. These aren't Keshawn Johnson. They're not sort of players um, who, uh, they're not the sort of players who get your heart racing. Yes, um, they were your first on your team. You, it's yeah. a great point you make on, on numbers. So, Hopkins, 54 touchdowns, over 8,000 receiving yards so far in his career. Ollie, uh, our producer, made a great point as well that you look at who's been throwing in the ball. You know, it's not exactly, um, you know, prime right. time, prime time quarterback collection for, a, for for much of his career, obviously, you know, pre, pre-Watson. Uh, okay, so that is, is clearly an upgrade. And as you say, it's an exciting offense anyway, not least, of course, because it's year two of Kyler Murray. It's year two of uh, this version of the air raid that, that Chris King, Kingsbury's brought in. It, it's year two. It's year two for me, anyway. Of like Kenyon Drake as a starting running back, right? Like you know, year one and a half. And I think that like Kenyon Drake is inevitably going to get talked about less because Hopkins is more exciting. Mm. But Drake averaged like five point two yards of carry after coming in last season. And um, I think one of the things that sort of have been talked about is possibly catching against him. And who knows? Maybe it will. Maybe he'll get hurt, and we'll find out he can't run a full season. One of the mm. things that's been talked about almost counting against him is that he's never really been uh, a full-time starting running back anywhere. And right. actually, I didn't even know this until a little while ago that um, back at Alabama, the most carries he had in a single season was like 92. So wow. he, even in college, he didn't 
get the work. And I think that it's the opposite of a, a downside. I think in the NFL where prospects are basically always on like a downwards you know, path to how many sort of hits their bodies can take. It's a massive asset to have a player who's got that much um, still to give potentially. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So That's yeah, I think that is another really sort of exciting part of this that doesn't get talked about as much as the receivers. No argument from me, Kenyon Drake, another kind of head scratcher is to, uh, one that got away uh, from, from my side. <laughs> so, uh, Kyler Murray, look, inevitably, uh, rookie quarterbacks, we always look at, look at the numbers. And one thing we know pretty much to a player that, uh, and Peyton Manning is always the, 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 the kind of prototypical example here uh, that is given, but n- no player looks, certainly the finished article or has... Uh, in in the overall grand scheme of things positionally no quarterback has in their rookie season um a, a particularly strong year right so relatively speaking kyler murray very much did right you look at the completion rate of 60 just shy of 65 percent just under four thousand yards passing a 20 to 12 touchdown to interception ratio look just compare that to manning and i know look it's a long time ago different context all those Factors you've got to plug in there, but just just in terms of balance, Manning in his rookie season fifty six point seven completion percentage compared to Murray's sixty five. Similar number of yards, give or take, almost identical actually. Twenty six to twenty eight touchdown to interception ratio. So I was looking at a number of different rookie seasons, and there are you know, obviously some stronger than others. Um, uh, Manning is maybe a particularly poor one, given especially what he went on to what he went on to achieve, but. In, in the bubble of last season, Kyler Murray had a, a pretty good year. Now, when you look at the additions, the fact it's year two, the acclimatization, all of these things, there's got to be a lot of optimism that he's going to really kick on. What did you make of his first year? What are your hopes for him this season? I think the Peyton Manning is really interesting, by the way, because his numbers, yeah, taken in abstract, they look bad, certainly when you put them against what he did. I don't mm. remember that being the feeling, though, of his rookie season. The feeling of his rookie right. season was, okay, like this guy can... You know, he, he can he can throw he's willing to sort of um to back himself as well. I think that's actually kind of a a unifying thing that I see between the two of them is I think that mm. both of them have that for want of a better word, swagger about them. They both yeah. sort of have stepped into the league and, and backed themselves. Part of the reason that Manning's numbers are bad is he threw a lot of interceptions because he was trying passes, like he was trying to do things and he obviously got a lot better with his decision making. I think that um That is a great point, you know, and, and uh, definitely you know, Clearly, when you look at what he's going to achieve, you know, it's it's no surprise. But I remember really early on, as in the first couple of times I saw Mahomes in the NFL. So, and again, when we're looking at draft versus NFL, I was chatting to, to Ben Isaacs about this the other day that, you know, somebody who studies the college game in so much detail, there's only so much that you can understand when you're looking at it. Uh, you know, at a, uh, at a cursory level, at a highlight reel, major games, listening to people like Ben who know their stuff. But he said, look, even, even though I watch dozens of games a week and have watched these players for years, you just don't really know until they're, until they're there. And remember, my homes early on, it was exactly that, Nikki. It was the moxie. It was, he just looks fearless. He just doesn't, he looks like he belongs straight away, irrespective of what the mechanics are showing and, and the situation of that game and the team and everything else and lack of protection or whatever, whatever it might be. You're right. You can, you, you can yeah. just tell, can't you? And I don't think that's all of it, right? Because I think maybe you could even say like a Mark Sanchez had a bit of that about him. He just wasn't right. good enough. Like, um, so you have to have both. Um, to survive. But I think sure. that, for instance, again, you know, coming at it from a Cardinals fan perspective, I think Josh Rosen didn't feel like he had that quality. He was mm-hmm. he was okay. I was rooting for him. I, I you know I, I hadn't given up on him by the time this all happened and Murray arrived and 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 he got moved on. But I I just never felt that sort of 
vibe of him. I don't know that that confidence, that willingness to 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 believe in himself, and I think that's what everyone's looking for in a quarterback. Is you've got to believe mm. in yourself first, and I think that you definitely get that with Murray, and I think you more than that, you also get from watching him that he can play. Um, mm. The mistakes that I think were most prevalent in his first season were the sorts of mistakes you can correct. He held on to the ball too long sometimes, and you mm-hmm. can correct that. Um, I think that he didn't always take what was given to him by the defence. He was trying to force things sometimes. You can correct that. Um, I think, interestingly, um, the best we saw of Kyla Murray in, in his first season was um, when he didn't have too much time to think. And I think that, too, is something you can correct. I think he might be someone... His worst game of the whole season, or certainly it felt like it was right off the bye week against the Rams, where we just got crushed. And it felt like there's been sort of almost too much overthinking going on here, and, and he needs to sort of get back into um, the, the the swing of being him. And, and I think that finding the balance between being more knowledgeable about the game, between getting those reads down, but also having the freedom to make decisions quickly and not be sort of trapped in your own head is a really delicate thing that you do work out with time in professional sports. I think, you know, not just the NFL, you get that from talking to athletes who make that step up to professional in general. Do you think think as well, last season, and look, it it was clearly a team that was, was touted to struggle. It certainly wasn't considered to be a a playoff contender, right? Going into the season. uh, But at the same time, there was optimism last year, of course, because of of Kingsbury coming in the style of coach of the years, the style of offense. He, 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 wanted to introduce but early on i remember the first three or four games and i didn't watch them in entirety right because you know doing the radio watching red zone you can catch up on on as much as you can but it's different from watching the games in entirety so maybe this isn't an accurate assessment but i felt that they the cards look quite restrained and and certainly uh, there was the pressure i think or the expectation that they were going to be explosive and exhilarating from day one, which is maybe an unrealistic expectation, but, but, but they particularly won. And, th- and then things started to change. Talk through the, if, if, if you think that's right, but it, the evolution of the, of the offense and, and how it built momentum last year. Yeah, it's interesting because I think I have personally more faith in Kyler Murray and, and where he's going to be in his career than, than Kingsbury still. Kingsbury still has things to prove to me. Mm. Um, but I think you can also say at the same time, um, there was likewise some sort of positive trajectory in, in that season. I think um, exactly um, as you sort of touched on there, when Cliff Kingsbury first came into the league, it was like there was this idea of this um, air raid offense that, oh, this worked in college and this is my thing and it's going to um, take the NFL by so much. These college, they, they never, I mean, am I wrong? Like these, they, they never do. When, when you get a college coach comes in with this idea that did so well in college, they never, it never just sort of yeah. falls over the NFL because, I mean, first of all, because very few of these ideas are new, actually. They're always mm. just, um, um, things that have come back around. But, um, but I think that, uh, actually you did see evolution. You saw evolution in part after the arrival of, of Drake and the willingness to, to run the ball more. You saw tight ends getting more involved in the offense and, it's still a tricky area for me with this offense because I don't think the Cardinals have great tight ends still. Mm. Max Williams came on as a blocking tight end last season and that's that's a positive, but um, the tight end situation is still not at the level of the receiver situation for me. Um, I think that he tweaked his offense and adjusted it without obviously completely reinventing it because you can't do that in the middle of a season um, as things went. Um, and I think that showed... Uh, 
a degree of humility that is important to him being a success. I think if he's going to be a success, you have to be humble enough to see the things that aren't working and, and, and be willing to adjust them. And certainly the things you hear out of the team is that he's actually very open to listening and to listening to his players as well when they're telling him things that they think are working and not working. And mm. that's a fine line, of course, because you have to have authority at the same time as, as you know, players can teach you things as well. Um, but uh, the jury's out for me on Kingsbury. I, I, I think the second season is going to be um, clearly a really important one for him. Um, to come back to the beginning when you're saying about optimism, I think I'm optimistic and excited because the team is moving in a good direction. Whether I'm optimistic about wins and losses is different mm. because it's such a tough division. Because the Cardinals have got, I think, four of their first six games on the road, including a three-game road, road run. Like, there's a lot. Although that might be less of a disadvantage than, than in, in, in typical years, right? Maybe, Depending on yeah. how it plays out. Just on, on Kings being on the draft, were Cardinals fans uh, happier about Isaiah Simmons getting taken, who is a really exciting player, who's a very fit that fit the mould, or the fact that Kingsbury is quite clearly the coolest man in the NFL? <laughs> which, <laughs> which say, as soon as you said Kingsbury in the draft, I was yep. like, okay, so this is going to be about his house, right? <laughs> it's going to be, <laughs> which has been established just before we started. I mean, you're you're going for a similar vibe with your Peloton in the background, with your gun. It's like a bad tribute act. <laughs> 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 That's what it is. I'd like the, whatever the Rolling Stones tribute act is. The, um, yeah, I, if I could be at least 5% Kingsbury with what's going on in the background, <laughs> I'll be happy. Garden, I'm impressed. My garden, oh, if you could see thanks. it back there, would not as tidy as that. And my wife uh, pretty much full credit for that, but I, uh, the boys and I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, uh, yeah, I mean, look, it was, it's fun and funny to see a coach go viral. No one actually cares about it. Like, it's just a funny thing. Like, it's, it's a, um, uh, yeah, it was a funny story. Um, as I said, I'm certainly intrigued about, um, I think maybe I've been scarred enough times by Arizona Cardinals first round draft picks to <laughs> be willing to sort of temper myself. Right. I mean, I was pretty excited because of what everyone said about Hassan Reddick coming in and he was a disappointment. Um, obviously Josh Rosen didn't pan out. There's, um, uh, Robert and Kendi Jay, who's no longer with the team. Like there's, mm. there's quite a few recent a stories for us of, yeah. yeah, of, of getting our hopes up and, and then not, um, being, uh, validated in that. But, um, He's certainly an interesting player. Um, it seems like the team wants to use him as an outside linebacker predominantly this season. That's the thing they've mm. talked about a lot already is the idea that he um, was made to play in a lot of different positions uh, in in college and they want to sort of hone it down and get him used to playing particular positions. His athleticism clearly is what everyone um, highlights most about him and you think in a division where you've got to go up against George Kittle a couple of times a season, that's an immediate asset someone who can run and, and cover tight ends and, and not just Kittle, frankly, because you've got a lot of teams, well, all these teams in the division that will use that position and use the fullback position and, and, and throw the ball out the backfield. So that um, that's obviously a positive. I think that in general, maybe we all need to temper our expectations for rookies this season because of how complicated it's going to be without rookie camps, without um, the extra preparation time they normally get. So I'm not going to rest all my hopes on Simmons coming in and transforming things in year one. But I, I wonder if that, again, that on, on, that, on that point, that he, the versatility that you referenced, and I can't remember exactly what the number was, but the ridiculous number of different positions he played in college, safety, he played slot corner. So I wonder if that's going to be an advantage for him. 
you know, the fact that quite clearly a player that can do that has football smarts and, and you, I guess you, that would lend itself to be able to pick things up quickly and, uh, and adapt quickly and, and acclimatize quickly. It'd give me optimism anyway. Where are the weak link stickies? We talked about all these great things about the cards, although I, I noted that you're saying jury's out on, <laughs> on Kingsbury. Uh, but where are the, where are the weakness? Which areas other than tight end are you most concerned about? Yeah, just um, on Simmons, the, the number which I had for him is um, at least 100 snaps in five different positions, which is quite something. Wow, wow, um, yeah. Uh, things that um, are a concern, the offensive line is still a concern. Um, again, somewhat addressed in the draft, Josh Jones, we hope will come in and, and be a, a, a long-term option at, at offensive tackle. Mm. But in general, that's a position that was neglected a bit this off-season um, and has been not a strength for a while and there's a lot of faith in um old kyla to 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 make it work without that so maybe um we can follow the seahawks russell wilson model of just not having an offensive line for years and years and see how that happens (laughs) um but uh the other one for me is cornerback um for certain Mm. i mean even uh thinking about um patrick peterson someone who's been so important and uh so valuable one of my favorite cardinals players for years frankly um Mm. but coming off a couple of seasons which have been interrupted by a trade demand and then suspension the start of last season. You think um, he's going into the last year of his contract, so maybe if that doesn't get resolved, there's always that thought of a contract year can be a boost sometimes, but he's also, I can't remember now if he's turned 30 or if he's closing in on it, but he's he's hitting an age, which I feel like I should specify, is not old in the real world, but in <laughs> NFL terms. It is a little bit, um, yeah. It's a little bit. Um, Particularly that position a, as well, yeah. At a position, yeah, where yeah. you have to run, where, where it's, it's so essential to have speed. Um, so I think um, his performance last season when he was on the pit, on the field took a, a while to get back to what you expected. You only really saw it in December. So where will he be at? Um, and what else do we have at that position? Uh, honestly, because it's, it's Robert Alford, who's also like 31, um, Byron Murphy, who didn't have a great rookie season, it's not, it's not something that I feel confident about. Um, so the secondary is yeah, is where I'm concerned. So the line and the, and, and the secondary. So let's wrap with with no, the division. The linebacker position is also interesting. There's been a lot of change there, but mm. I know the coaching staff are really excited about Devondre Campbell. Obviously, if Simmons comes in and, and plugs and starts, yeah, and contributes right away, that helps. You mentioned the division, and we mentioned the division being amongst the toughest in, in, in the league. Look, the 49ers are obviously going to be strong again. The Rams and the Seahawks are difficult, uh, both can be difficult uh, uh, opponents again. I guess they're at a similar level, both of them, albeit very different types of teams and, and, and rosters. But you, neither of them really kind of stand out. The 49ers would be the de facto favorites, you'd think, but neither of the, the Rams or the Seahawks stand out as a particularly strong incarnation of, of those teams based on what we've seen in recent recent years, but but nevertheless will be competitive, right? So is that very much the the the, the um, ambition that the 49ers will, unless something extraordinary happens, win the division? So you're looking at a wild card, and to get a wild card, you've got to certainly be ahead of those two and, and take your chances with the rest of the NSC. I mean, I think, like, where are you setting the bar there? Because, yeah, maybe not the strongest incarnations of these teams we've seen in recent seasons. Because all three of those have been Super Bowl teams in recent <laughs> seasons. That's that's yeah. the bar in the NFC West. Yeah. Like, did you go to the Super Bowl this year? Okay. Um, and that's the problem. Like, I think that the bar in, in the division is, is so high. And, mm. yeah, even if it's not the best Seahawks team, well, I mean, even without getting into anything else, 
You've got Russell Wilson at quarterback. Um, I think the 49ers are perfectly well positioned to have another run at the Super Bowl this season. Um, I think the, the Rams still have a lot of the important talent they had a couple of seasons ago. To me, there's just not, um, it's that thing which I was told once playing poker is if you're sat at the poker table and you're looking around and you can't see the idiot, then the idiot is you. <laughs> um, I think that's been the problem for the Cardinals for a while. And actually it's funny because I was reading something just earlier, a uh, sort of round table of NFC West writers in The Athletic, I think it was. Mm. Um, and the Seahawks writer, whose name escapes me, was saying that uh, the Cardinals for their fan base was sort of feud with some sort of... Um, frustration because they felt like every division should get a patsy and actually the Cardinals refuse to be even when they're not winning games their in division games have been incredibly close from season right. to season through so it's been a it's been a really tight division for years even when the Cardinals have been wins and losses behind everyone they've tended to play the division games close so it's going to be extremely competitive again I don't see an obvious weak link in that group. And I'm just hoping that we're not the weakest link this time. <laughs> well, it's a, certainly a compelling case you put forward for, for, uh, for that optimism. And, and I am really excited to see the Cardinals this year. And I think most people are, I think most people are for, for, uh, for obvious reasons in terms of uh, Kyler, in terms of Kingsbury and uh, adding Hopkins, all of the things that we've talked about offensively for nothing else, they're going to be fascinating to watch. And, uh, I am really looking forward to uh, talking through the season getting started and, and the Cardinals um, starting at a pace and uh, and getting us all believing that they can battle through the the, the division of death and make it. Yeah, it's hey, it's great to see you. Really good to catch up. Uh, everything else uh, treating you well? How you, how's the last few months been for you? Because I've seen a lot of prolific stuff, obviously with the SBN and Syria's yeah. back, so that's all good. That's all right. Yeah, it's, it's been, I mean, I think like everyone that, like the beginning of lockdown, I found a struggle. Like, well, not everyone, but a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but now we're back in the rhythm of sport. Suddenly the weeks have structure again. That's easier. <laughs> <laughs> Big time. The sun is shining. Uh, okay. Things are looking up. Things are looking up. It's great to catch up. Nikki, thanks so much for, for your insight. Always good. Always good to see you. And uh, we'll check in with you very soon. Thanks for having me on. So as I said at the top of the show, we're looking at teams that we think year on year are going to be much stronger. Potentially playoff contenders, certainly we feel a lot better all around than they were this time last year. So uh, let's turn our attention to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And like I said at the top of the show, if you don't agree with this, then fire in your suggestions of why you don't agree on our social channels at the NC Show, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Who better to talk Steeler Nation and making her debut on the show? Delighted to welcome Brooke Pryor from ESPN. Brooke, how are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad at all. So let us start with the obvious upgrade year on year. Although, of course, Roethlisberger began the season but didn't last particularly long before he went down, and that had a seismic seismic impact on on the trajectory for the Steelers last year. Uh, he's back. He's the cause, therefore, of cautious optimism, I guess, among Steeler Nation that things are going to look altogether different this year. But he is coming towards the end of his 30s. He has always been a, a very physical player and taken a, taken a lot of damage over the years. He's coming off a serious injury, so don't really know what the prognosis is going to be and the durability of Ben Roethlisberger. So, so how concerned should, should we be about that, particularly given this altogether unorthodox off-season? Yeah, I think that the way that this off-season has gone is really um, maybe put another question mark for Ben Roethlisberger's return. 
just in the fact that, you know, I think by this time we thought maybe we'd see him throwing a little bit more. I don't think there was any expectation that he would be a full go in minicamp or OTAs, but maybe we'd see him at, le- him at least, you know, warming up on the sideline or something like that, or, or maybe taking a few snaps. But to this point, we've only seen, I think it was a, a 38-second video uh, that was heavily edited, um, showed him throwing to Ryan Switzer and Juju Smith-Schuster and James Conner. And, you know, it was. It felt like a little bit of a tease um, because I think a lot of people would like to see him throwing even more than that. Um, but does but, that worry you a bit? The fact that it was so short and edited. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I think that it was easier to for Twitter, you know, to see oh, just okay. a quick hit. Um, they don't necessarily want to see an hour of Ben throwing, you know, and, and all that. But <laughs> I think that um, you know it does help because, like you said, he's a really physical player, and for him to have a season where he didn't have that wear and tear on his body. Um, obviously, you know, you don't want to have a guy have a serious injury like the one that he had, but a year without taking hits, without running, without any of the things that come with playing a full NFL season is going to be big in prolonging his career. Um, especially, you know, with a team that really kind of lost its way offensively without him back there. Let's talk a bit, a bit about Roethlisberger and his, particularly in the last couple of days, a piece he wrote for ESPN, uh, about him taking part in, uh, I guess, a virtual – how would you describe it? A, a virtual event, certainly a digital event. Yeah, it was a virtual conference. Virtual conference where he was fairly uh, forthright and um, unequivocal about challenges he'd had in, in, in the past to do with addiction in, in particular. Talk us through that because you, you covered it. You wrote a piece for ESPN uh, about it. So what were your main takeaways from that? You know, it's interesting in seeing the way that Ben Roethlisberger has evolved as a person since, um, you know, coming into the league as a rookie. He really didn't have a good reputation. He had a couple of sexual assault allegations, um, had a reputation for not paying for tabs at restaurants and bars and just being a really kind of knuckleheaded guy. And I think the city didn't have a great relationship with him. The organization, I think, was frustrated with him. And so to see the way that he's kind of evolved um, in the last couple of years, since he got married, he has three kids now. Um, I think that he's really trying to show that he has learned from his mistakes. Um, although he didn't, you know, admit to or address everything that he's been accused of in the past or anything in this conference. Um, and I think the way that he discussed it's interesting too, because it's not like he said this in a press conference or something that was for public consumption. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was a, a was a free virtual uh, conference. They usually have it in person in Pittsburgh, um, but because of COVID, they moved it online, and it was free if you just registered. Um, and you know, it, it was for Christian men, so I did not register for it when it was airing on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, but then some some clips started to come out. I was like, okay, maybe this is something that we need to listen to, and. You know, I just filled in my information and I could watch it just like that. So I think um, I would be interested to know if he knew beforehand how much this would be kind of um, spread out for, for public consumption after the fact. But he's getting a lot of credit for admitting the sure. things that, you know, he struggled with in the past, like these addictions um, with pornography, with alcohol. Um, and I think that it's just something that this is the point in his life that he's starting to talk about it more. Um, and I'll be interested to see how much he wants to disclose in the future when he knows that it's, you know, an on the record interview mm. with, with more people than just a kind of a safe space. Yes. Uh, talking with a former Steeler and someone that works kind of with the Steelers now in, in media and radio. 
Yeah, interesting. Well, uh, your piece is on ESPN. We'll tweet it as well from our handle for uh, for listeners who want to go and check it out. With um, the other thing with 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 Roethlisberger, which uh, you know, a kind of Favre esque uh, off season, will he retire? Won't he retire? Situation that's that's kind of been around him for a few years anyway. And and last year that was uh, you know preseason was was tackled, uh, knocked on the head very quickly and and then of course the injury hit early doors and and we know how that played out so how is that these days is Roethlisberger less um uh, unsure about his long-term future is he still looking at his Steelers career and ultimately therefore his NFL career as the as a year-by-year thing what's your take on the wavering that we've seen in maybe the last three four years from Roethlisberger about whether he wants to carry on at all as an NFL player so yeah Roethlisberger is a guy who wants to go out on his own terms, who doesn't want to have the end of his career look like a stat line that says, you know, two games, how a, a really low number of attempts and completions. Um, I think that he's a guy that wants to be able to go out and say that he left, you know, everything on the field. And if that means coming back this season and trying his elbow out for a couple games and, you know, maybe it can't go, maybe the repair didn't go as well, but at least doing everything he can to get back on the field and, um, you know, it's interesting. We actually saw a video or some photos that came out yesterday of him um, helping to pack up some boxes uh, and distribute, um, I think it was food and part of the Convoy of Hope. Um, and he looked pretty trim. He looked pretty mm-hmm. in shape, which is an interesting development given in the off season. He, you know, it looked like he had put on some weight. He had the scruffy beard. And so I think now we're seeing him starting to take steps to come back on the field to give you know, everything he has to hopefully be the league's comeback player of the year, which he's been, you know, favored to be at this point. It's a really interesting point, actually, Brooke, that you make that because Roethlisberger's had a long time out of the game, I mean, obviously we have questions about what he's going to, the durability and the, and and the, 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 where it could go either way in terms of, of, of his physicality. We don't doubt his, obviously his, his ability as a quarterback, evidently, but we just don't know how durable he's going to be off the back of this injury. But there's also the mental side of it as well. He'd been out of the game for as long as you have compounded by the fact that America, like much of the world has been going through a pandemic, has been in lockdown, has had a completely unorthodox preseason, off season. That, that's a difficult double whammy to take, really. He's been out of organized football for a long time. Yeah, I I think that it's really going to be interesting to see how he rebounds from that. And not just, not just being out of organized football like he has been for so long, but recently the guidance from the NFLPA is to stop these private workouts with other players. And when you don't have minicamp and you don't have OTAs, Roethlisberger's a guy that's really been leaning on, you know, bringing guys in for workouts, having guys over at his house or meeting at a local football field. And when you look at the makeup of this team, he doesn't have the guys that he built strong relationships with in the past, like an Antonio Brown um, or some of those other receivers that he had a ton of success with. This is a team that's really young. You have guys like Deontay Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, James Washington, still a younger guy, Juju Smith-Schuster, a guy that he has some experience with, but I think still needs to build up more of that chemistry with Ju- with using Juju as the number one guy. Right. Um, and then they drafted Chase Claypool, another receiver. They add Eric Ebron. So they really tried to beef up this offense to help Roethlisberger out this season. But I think to to be able to kind of hit the ground running whenever the season does start, they really needed this offseason to build those relationships and those connections. And it's tough to do in a Zoom call like every team is experiencing. But I think it's a lot harder when you have 
an older quarterback who, you know, really needs that time to develop chemistry with, with his new weapons. That is definitely the, uh, the hopeful upside, isn't it? When you think about the, the year prior to injury, it was a 5,000 yard season for, for Roethlisberger. And he's, as he just outlined so many exciting weapons around him. But how are the Steelers? And as you say, I guess it's no different from, from most other teams dealing with, dealing with this, but being close to them, understanding, following them. How are they going about getting ready for the season with new faces, with a young offense? How are they tackling that? You know, I think right now they're like every other team having to do these Zoom calls. But, and, you know, there are challenges. It's It's been, you know, talking with some of the older guys. Cam Hayward talked about the last lockout. That was a part of his rookie class. And he just said he felt like his head was kind of swimming a lot of the year trying to play catch up. You know, there's only so much you can learn from the other side of a computer. You can't mm-hmm. go out there and, and take the reps and, and, you know, walk through plays. We've talked to some rookies who've said, yeah, I am going out on the field, you know, the yard behind my house and lining up like I'm running these routes. But, you know, whereas the defense is pretty solid, they return most of their starters. They're not going to have a lot of young guys seeing significant playing time. The offense does, you know, like guys like like Claypool that I mentioned, Deontay Johnson in his second year, um, you know, maybe Anthony McFarlane behind James Conner. So I, I think that right now there's having a lot of conversations, obviously, um, but you also have to consider the fact that they're trying to break in new coaches like quarterbacks coach Matt Canada and wide receivers coach Ike Hilliard. And Mike Tomlin said, yeah, you know, they're, they're fitting in pretty well in these Zoom meetings and um, they're they're moving along at the pace that they expected to move along, at least virtually, but there's still so much. He said he estimates between 900 and 1,000 snaps that these guys aren't getting. So right. where there might have been high hopes and expectations for rookie class that didn't have necessarily a flashy draft pick, and there aren't really a lot of flashy guys from last year's draft class either, at least offensively, um, I just don't see them having the same impact maybe that the Steelers hoped they would have um, when they drafted them just because of kind of the curtailed off season. Sure. Sure. You mentioned James Connor. Uh, he's a key player, isn't he really? Again, in, in, fitness is fundamental here because in 2018, he was a, a prolific player and, and it was some big shoes to fill as well, but uh, he was, well, he hit the ground, uh, com- t- took everything completely in his stride and, and, and hit the ground running. 113 scrimmage yards he was averaging per game in that year. He's a, he, he's a really, really, uh, exciting all-round player, but injury has curtailed that, uh, that progression, that trajectory. What kind of shape, uh, have you heard he's in and, and how important is it for the Steelers playoff ambitions that, that Connor is back to those kind of 2018 levels? Yeah. I mean, it's not just, well, shape we've heard that he said he's posted on Instagram uh, and on Twitter just the I'm, I don't know that I'd call it a transformation because he's always been pretty muscular but maybe the evolution uh, of his body and of his muscles he posted a picture of his back flexing and it was unlike anything I've ever seen and we asked him about it in a conference call and he said oh everybody's back can look like that and we said <laughs> No one on this call has a back that can look <laughs> anything like that. Um, you know, but he, he said this pandemic, he's really focused on working out and getting in the weight room, like a lot of guys, mm. because there's not much else going on at this sure. point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I think that he knows that last year was a really disappointing season and a season that they really could have used him, especially with Ben out. I mean, he ends up having just 464 yards. He missed six games because of what the Steelers called acute injuries. He had some issues with, I believe, his knee, his 
ankle at one point, uh, shoulder, just just kind of a combination of all these things. Uh, felt like if if he could if something could go wrong, it did. And granted, mm. it wasn't you know, uh, an ACL or something like that, that you can maybe see lingering effects from in future seasons, but it was enough that it disrupted the Steelers run game. They were not very good on the ground. Um, and I think that they would like to go back to obviously, you know, you, of, of course you want to have the 2018 James Connor, but I've had questions, you know, will the Steelers go to a running back by committee situation? And mm. that's not what Mike Tomlin prefers. He would like to have a featured back. James Connor is better when he is the featured guy, when he is carrying the ball upwards of 20 times a game. Um, but durability is his biggest issue. And I think if, if he can't be durable this season, um, the Steelers, you know, may have to move on from him, whether that's, mm-hmm. you know, leaning on Benny Snell to be the next featured guy or, or taking another guy in, in the next draft to start to fill that role. I've got one more on offense, and I want to talk about the D, and in particular some comments from Minka Fitzpatrick, who's one of my favorite players, and full disclaimer, Brooke, I'm a, I'm a Dolphins fan and, and have been since I was a, as a kid, so the loss of Minka Fitzpatrick, it still haunts me <laughs> to this day. I don't care how much we got for him. Uh, we should never have done that deal, in my opinion. Anyway, so we'll talk D, because it's a really exciting D, I think. But um, one more on the quarterback situation, because obviously with Roethlisberger's injury concerns, we've got to look at the backup backup options and and last year there was flip-flopping between Rudolph and Duck Hodges Paxton Lynch an interesting acquisition as well so at the moment four quarterbacks on the roster again it's a very unorthodox uh, uh, pre-season off-season so uh, working out what the pecking order might be behind uh, Ben I guess is difficult but if you had anything on that front who do you expect to be uh, the number two and, and will they go into the season carrying all presumably not all four quarterbacks and one drop to the practice squad what can you tell us about the backup situation when quite clearly it's a it's a key concern for for Mike Tomlin given given Roethlisberger's injury concerns right I mean last year was the was the perfect example of needing to trust your backup quarterbacks and and having backups who can carry the season and they weren't able to do that I mean they the quarterback position obviously is the group that struggled the most last year but despite the issues that Mason Rudolph had um, and the inconsistent play that he had, and he didn't do much on the field that was inspiring that would make you think this is the guy of the future. This is the guy that, that the Steelers want to put the future of their franchise. They want to put it in his hands. But every move that they've made this offseason signals that Mason Rudolph will be the number two guy and that there's still some hope that he can succeed Ben whenever Ben retires. Um, and I think that there's one hire that they've made that is kind of Mason Rudolph's last hope um, or maybe best hope for the future. And that's in bringing in Matt Canada Um, Mm. in doing that. The Steelers signaled, Hey, we still want to devote all of our resources to this guy who we drafted, who we believe um, can step in and, and be the leader and be the quarterback of this team. And so rather than going out and either drafting a quarterback, you know, Jalen Hurts was available when they made their selection in the second round, um, rather than going out and signing Jameis Winston or Cam Newton or Colin Kaepernick, you know, all three of those guys were available at one point for the Steelers to pick up, but they didn't want to spend that money there. Um, and so they go out and they hire a quarterback's coach because they want to develop the young talent that they have. And that's really been the Steelers' MO for a long time. They like to, you know, draft their own guys and, and develop them and groom them and bring them up in the system. Um, and they're not, you know, going to go away from that with Mason Rudolph. So I think that, that this is his best shot this year to prove that he has what it takes to take over for Ben eventually, um, whether that's next year and two or three years. Um, I think that 
that if he struggles being the number two, if he doesn't show them what they want to see on the field in practice or if he has to step into a game, then they'll really have to consider signing a free agent next year or drafting a guy. Um, but I, I do think then behind him it'll be Duck Hodges, number three, and Paxton Lynch. I'm not sure of his practice squad availability, but he hasn't shown me anything in practice that signals that he can leapfrog either Duck or, or Mason Rudolph. Um, you know, obviously he's a former first round pick. You hope that, that maybe he's just had some bad luck or something hasn't clicked yet, but so far we haven't seen it clicking in Pittsburgh to, you know, signal that, that he could move up to the depth chart significantly. Okay, let's talk D then. And uh, I mentioned Mika Fitzpatrick, who, and the comments that, that uh, I wanted to run by you, uh, he was on a show with NFL Network, and he said, it's so much fun playing with this team. I say that all the time. It's probably the most fun I've had in a, in a really long time. That is always a good sign, I think, when a player... <laughs> When a player isn't just talking about the attributes of his teammates and that we're, we're looking really dynamic and that they're enjoying, he's enjoying his football. And is that something you pick up that this is a happy camp with the Steelers? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you could not have fun on this defense. I mean, where the offense struggled, the defense flourished. And I think that there were times that the defense was frustrated because they're like, look, we're holding, we're holding teams to 16 points a game or less, you know, and we're still not winning. And I think right. that there was definitely some frustration there. But as a unit, the defense really likes each other. Um, the defensive backs in particular, I was really impressed with. Um, I found out last year that Joe Hayden was leading the DBs meeting once a week on Thursdays. You know, something, I think Tuesdays or Thursdays. But, you know, something where maybe normally a position coach would lead it. Joe Hayden kind of took over and was leading that. And they had a rotation where uh, each week a different guy would bring in the the meal for the for all the defensive backs. And it started out, you know, with, with Joe and Steve Nelson and some of the veterans catering it. And so then by the end you had the younger guys and it's, you know, chicken tenders and, you know, hot dogs and fries, whereas the beginning <laughs> you had lobster and shrimp and stuff. A good life. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, this is a team that I think is, you know, they're – they work really well together. You can see that on the field. Their communication is great. That's how, you know, I mean, Fitzpatrick ends up with the number of interceptions that he has. And Joe Hayden really came on strong at the end. Um, this is a unit, you know, then you have guys, uh, the linebacker like TJ Watt and Bud Dupree who really mesh well and play well together. Um, and so, you know, even if they aren't hanging out all the time off the field, you can tell that they enjoy going to work. They enjoy playing football and their talents all mesh really well together. Their personalities seem to mesh pretty well together, and it's translating into some pretty significant results. Well, let's the defense undoubtedly going to be uh, as strong again, we would think, and uh, as we've talked about, if uh, if the cards fall in the right place, then the offense will be uh, uptick from, from last year for sure. So joining the dots and doing the maths there, Brooke, it means that we're talking a playoff contender, and that's one of the reasons why we think that Clearly, the Steelers are amongst the most improved teams, and it isn't just because of Roethlisberger's return, but that is obviously a, a fundamental. So let's look at that that playoff potential. Then I know it's very difficult always at this stage of the season. We're not even into July yet, and it's been an odd and weird uh, off season anyway, and we don't know quite what the the the, the format of the season is going to be in terms of whether it's going to start on time and whether we're going to have some kind of NBA style bubble or so many different uh, different questions flying around. But let's just assume that things kick off on time and things are relatively speaking normal in terms of 
uh, home field advantage, albeit without fans and, and, and the schedule as it stands, without anything too unorthodox in terms of how the season plays out. Reasonably easy schedule for the Steelers in some ways. You look at it, and I'm interested to know how much you place on the schedule comparison. So the second easiest uh, based on last year's winning percentage. And, and I'm always a little bit, you know, asterisk here, pinch of salt. We don't want to read too much into that because teams change, change so dramatically. And, and often there are so many teams batched in and around the same kind of level. So you can maybe overplay that. But nevertheless, you'd rather be at that end of it than the hardest schedule <laughs> based on last year. Um, uh, but a tough division. The Ravens, obviously, are, are best in show, you would think. Uh, once again, the Browns, so much talent there. And on the basis that they can fulfill their p- the potential individually as a collective, they're going to be in the mix. And, and of course, the Bengals are interesting because of Burrow and, uh, and an emergence there as well. So one of the tougher divisions in the NFL for sure. How do you think it's going to play out? Where do the Steelers sit in terms of the division and, and their playoff ambition? You know, I think that, yeah, it does definitely help the Steelers have one of the easier schedules, um, at least, you know, like you said, as it relates to last year. But I do think that they're coming from maybe the toughest division. Um, like you said, they have the Bengals with Burrow. And, yes, the Bengals were awful last year. <laughs> it was painful to watch. But they're a team that, you know, can surprise some people. I think, obviously, that will all depend on Joe Burrow. And like I've mentioned before, I have lower expectations for this rookie class across the board because mm. of the off season. So maybe the Bengals aren't going to be a threat this year. They will be down the line. So helps the Steelers schedule this year. Browns. Um, I think that they are benefited from the fact that a lot of their talent was on the team last year, but then you factor in, okay, they've got a new head coach. They've got a new staff. Um, you know, they're, they're trying to work with Baker Mayfield and, and OBJ and Jarvis Landry and, and get, you know, again, the culture turned around of the Browns, which how many years in a row have we said that? <laughs> um, but they, you know, are kind of in the same boat as the Bengals, that maybe they'll be good in two or three years. I don't know that I see them getting on the field this year and having that immediate impact just because of how this offseason has worked out. So with that in mind, I think that the Ravens are going to be their biggest challenge in the division. The Ravens obviously return a really strong team. Lamar Jackson um, is the reigning MVP. You've got Mark Ingram. They add Calais Campbell to their defense. Um, I think that the Ravens are going to dominate this division the way that the Steelers used to um, in the previous decade. I think that, you know, for the Steelers to compete with the Ravens and to feel good about it, you know, they, they have the right defense. They just need to hope that Ben is as good as the front office says he is, as he says he is, um, to be able to, you know, work to, to combat that defense that they have, that the Ravens have. Um, and the Steelers were close to beating the Ravens when they played last year. Uh, they played early in the season. That was the game that Mason Rudolph had the concussion um, on a hit, and Duck Hodges came in and nearly beat the Ravens in overtime at Heinz Field. And then they played in Week 17 in Baltimore um, with – the hope of potentially getting a wild card spot. Ultimately, uh, the dominoes didn't fall the right way they needed them to for that outcome to really matter. But I mean, the Ravens backups beat the Steelers and that's, you know, not how you want your season to end. But I think that the Steelers are the solid number two in the division, but if certain things break the right way, I could see them winning the division. Uh, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be, you know, a, a shoe in the way that it has been in the past. But, and then the rest of their schedule, 
They're not playing the Patriots. Granted, the Patriots look a lot different without Tom Brady. Um, they're not playing the Bucks. They're not playing the Chiefs. So one of their toughest, you know, non-divisional games, I think, will be the Bills. Mm-hmm. Um, really excited about that. Hope that it's able to be played. Um, but yeah, I mean, as a whole, I look at it and the, the Steelers have a good chance to not only improve on their record last year, but, you know, maybe finish with 10, 11, 12 wins. Mm-hmm. They're doing that. They're, they're almost certainly a lock for it. Well, certainly if it's 11 or 12, they're a lock for the playoffs and 10, you think might, might well be enough. Really interesting, Brooke. I'm glad you validated our, our opinion that they are a team very much on the up and, and, and an improved team for sure. And uh, thanks for adding insight into, into the Steelers at the moment. It's great to have you on the show. Uh, if our listeners want to catch you, uh, uh, more regularly and read your stuff, where should they head? Social media, uh, give us, uh, give us a steer on, uh, where our listeners should check you out. Yeah, on social media, I'm on Twitter at B.E. Pryor, and then all of my articles are posted to ESPN.com under the Steelers tab on the NFL Nation site. There you go. We'll uh, steer them that way as well. Really good to catch up with you, Brooke. Look after yourself. Hopefully we'll check in soon, yeah? Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. Many thanks to Brooke. Many thanks to Nikki as well. Two fantastic guests. I told you so. There you go then. Two teams we think are amongst the most improved in the NFL going into the new season. What do you think? Do you agree? Let us know on our social channels at the NC Show, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Marley and the crew pushing out some great stuff as well in terms of underrated players. A lot of discussion going on at the moment. I know Ollie Thornton, one of our producers, and I disagree on a number of things. Uh, that's kind of the point, right? So we're firing stuff out. See whether you agree with us or not. And if you don't agree, who do you think in the underrated category, in the most improved category, and plenty more as we get you ready for the 2020 NFL season. And I have faith it will start on time, gang. I can feel it. Uh, we're back next week. Jay Bell in at the house. Really looking forward to catching up with him. So we will see you next time. The Nat Coombs Show is a Ted Fred Media Production for ESPN. Sports Social Podcast Network.